I do want to handle part two of surviving spiritual assaults, as Pastor Justin has said. I'm, <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm going to do the second service a little different than I did the first service because we, last week, we kind of, well, we stopped at roughly the same place, but I covered some things with you that I didn't cover with them. So second service is a little different. Uh, if you want more detail from the outline, you can go to the, uh, just get a copy of the, of the first service. But I want to continue our thoughts that we began last week talking about surviving spiritual assaults. Let's begin with the Lord's Prayer, shall we? Let's look to the screen and pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, touch our hearts as we try to wrap this up and then begin to move back toward our great words of the Christian faith next week. Give us a time of real celebration for Easter this year. Let faith become more vital, more real, more precious than it's ever been before in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, last week, um, we spent a little bit of time, and I'm going to just touch this very quickly. I encourage you, if you missed last week, you can go online and watch the first part of this. Um, we said that Satan was wearing out the saints of the Most High, that, uh, and God was moving his people to a huge decision point of how we're going to live. Are we going to live by the Spirit? Or are we going to live by the flesh? We talked about the spirit of Antichrist that I believe is assaulting. We know the day is coming when an Antichrist will appear. But right now there are false teachers of Antichrist. And um, there is a spirit of Antichrist that's throughout the world. Um, I think we may be at the point where we are seeing what was prophesied in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, where Paul said that Antichrist won't be revealed until there comes a great falling away. Now, a lot of people have said, well, that happened. The great falling away was back at the end of the apostolic age, or it was during the time of Constantine, or it was in the dark ages, or it was this, that, or the other. Um, but I think that we have not seen the great falling away unless perhaps we're seeing the beginning of it now. Um, I've, I've never seen in America in my lifetime, and I don't think you can find it historically in America, I've never seen a time where there is such an attack from within the church on holiness, on orthodoxy of Scripture. Uh, it seems that the world doesn't care about holy living, but those of us who should seem to be careless and sloppy and will go way out of our way and do everything we can to promote what the Bible calls licentiousness. That is just a license to do anything, license to live any way. And it's, it's very troubling. I think that it may be, and we've got to watch it closely because we're praying for revival. We're praying for the church to wake up. We're praying for a great uh, awakening 
just like we've had in our past. I'm not giving up on America, but we're praying for that to happen. But I think we need to watch the response of the church. We never take our cue from the world, or at least not initially. We know the world's going to act like the world because they're the world. But when the church, I mean, the world is going to act like the world, but when the church begins to act like the world, that could be a tipping point that we're reaching. And we've got to really be sure we're not being judgmental. We're not being holier than thou, but we want to understand that all who name the name of Jesus need to depart from iniquity. And in the name of freedom, in the name of liberty, in the name of greater insight, we have walked away from orthodoxy and we've walked away from holy living. And God is calling his church back to that. We talked about that. We gave some examples from the story of the prophet Micaiah uh, when Joe, uh, or excuse me, uh, Jehoshaphat and Ahab went to battle together. Micaiah was um, a true prophet of God, but he was standing against uh, over 400 wicked false prophets. And we said that that's kind of typical of where we are right now. Um, there's a lot of false voices. I'm not, not necessarily prophets. Some are, some aren't. But, um, and we said that we, we are at a point where God is calling on us to make a decision. Are we going to live in the flesh? Are we going to live in the spirit? I said I wanted to talk about what was happening. We did that. I said I wanted to talk about our responsibility as Christians, our church included, to decide if we're going to live this life out in the flesh or if we're going to live it out in the spirit. Um, it's easy to yell and scream and get all upset from the wrong voices than it is to hear the voice of the spirit. Even a man as righteous as Elijah, when he was fighting against the wickedness of Jezebel, he understood it is so easy to expect God to speak one format when he doesn't, he speaks in another. And God designed it that way, not to make it hard, but to make us dependent totally on him. Now, we ended last week saying that I believe five things were taking place. I'm not going to re-preach those things. We said that we are in layers. Normally, when we're in a fight, we're in a fight with one enemy. But we are in a fight with multiple enemies on multiple layers. And remember, we said that we are, it's like we're uh, in a problem that's set inside another problem that is set inside another problem. It's the issue of layers. We said that so many of God's people, because what we're going through does not fit their theological grid, there's a denial of reality. You know, stick your head in the sand. Nothing's wrong. Everything's going to be fine. God always wins. And he does. By the way, folks, um, looking at reality should never be misinterpreted as thinking God has lost his power. But there is a denial of reality. I said there are misplaced fears. Uh, we're fearing the wrong things. We're so worried about political correctness that we're afraid to speak the truth because to speak the truth in this culture means you are called something that you're not, almost always. Um, and we said that we needed to learn again what Jesus said when he told us to not fear those that have the, the ability to destroy your body, 
but he said, you ought to fear the one that can destroy your body and then send your soul to hell. And God is the only one that can do that. And that wasn't the Lord putting him in a bad light, Jesus putting the Lord in a bad light. He was just saying, look, the only one whose opinion really matters is God Almighty. And so we need to strive to please him. So there are layers, a denial of reality, misplaced fears. And then we said there are forms of godliness that are surfacing. We saw that from the story about Micaiah and Ahab. And what we found is that Ahab had his priesthood, he had his altar, he had his prophets, he had his prayers, he had his declarations, he had all of these things, but it was only a form in Samaria of what was going on in reality in Jerusalem. And Paul said that there would be those in the last days that are convinced they're okay because they have a form of godliness but they deny the power thereof. And then we said the last thing is that there's compromised faith. Now, we find compromised faith, it's not necessarily from an evil world. Sometimes a compromised faith is from the people of God. I mean, at least they have faith, they're holding to faith. But I want you to know, loved ones, if you have walked with the Lord for very long, you have found yourself exhausted at times. You found yourself exhausted from waiting. You know, have you ever prayed, Lord, just how long does it take you to do this? That's why Abraham called out when God said, Abraham, you're almost there. You're almost there. Uh, the child of promise is coming. It's coming. It's coming. And a, a, a man who's nearly 100 years old married to a woman who's 90 years old they don't want to hear anymore. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, he, Abraham was probably saying, Lord, you missed a lot of wonderful opportunities. We went on a lot of retreats, marriage seminars. They would have been wonderful. But now, uh, in fact, the Bible in another passage says that he was as good as dead. I mean, that's real encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, he's as good as dead. And and when Sarah was told about this time next year, she'll have a baby. It was, she said something like this in the King James, it's something like, and what of my husband? And in other words, she was saying, have you seen Abraham lately? <laughs> Do you understand what you are promising? And you know what Abraham said? It was heartfelt and it was from his soul and it wasn't evil. But it, if God had answered it, it would have been the biggest mistake of his life. He said, oh, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Ishmael was a teenager, a strong young man, an outdoorsman, uh, you know, uh, could have been voted the most likely to succeed. But he was the product of the works of the flesh. Uh, you know, uh, over a decade earlier, Sarah said, it's just not going to happen. Take my servant, you go into her and I'll have a baby and she'll be the surrogate. She'll be the surrogate mother. And since she's my servant, the baby will be mine. And Abraham did it. And we have to be careful, loved ones. We, are, we have been called to walk out something that is very, very difficult because God tells you to hold on. God says, I'm going to do this, but we will find a half dozen ways to make it happen on our own. I, we've all done that. Um, and, but the remnant 
are going to be pressed into a place of absolute impossibility where our heart says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God understood. He said, I'll bless Ishmael. That's not a problem. I'll make Ishmael a great lesson. But everything I promised you is going to come through uh, Isaac and not through Ishmael. And I felt when we ended last week that God was explaining to us what we were going through. I felt, if I may be so bold as to say the Lord was speaking through the preaching. Secondly, he was telling us that some of us are misbehaving and we need to stop living the Christian life the way we've been living it for the last two and a half years or a couple of years. And um, we've, we've got to quit leaning on the systems of this world and we've got to stop calling people uh, names. We've got to quit saying, if you don't believe what I believe, you're this or ascribing intent to their heart. You don't know another person's heart, but we have, the church has been the worst group, one of the worst groups that should have been the brightest light. We've been the most profound darkness because our own hurt, our own pain, our own grief has caused us to say, you know, uh, well, we, we, we fulfilled a principle and that is that hurting people hurt people. And one of the things that God is after to get rid of in the church is for us to move past that idea that because we're hurting, we've got the right to hurt others. And we need to embrace the idea that if hurting people hurt people, healing people can heal people. And we've got to do that. So that's where we were. And then I know you've got a long outline and I, I, it's not as long as the one you had earlier. Um, I shortened it, but I tell you what I want to do. I want to go directly to the Christian life lessons. I, I want to wrap up what I kind of spelled out in a little more detail in the first service. And um, I want to give us three principles, and I'm, I'm shifting the outline a little bit so it won't be sequential. Um, but you got further than the first service did last week, so that's why I want to do this. Um, I want to give you three things. Okay, we've talked about what we're up against. We've talked about the decision we've got to make to live in the spirit, not live in the flesh. And right now I want to say here are three things, three practical things that will get us through these days of difficulty. And loved ones, I, I want to tell you, we are in days of difficulty. We are in a present distress like Paul discussed to the Corinthians. This is not just how to get through a bad Thursday afternoon, you know. Um, you know, sometimes getting through a bad day is just as simple as, you know, taking two Tylenol PM and going to bed and waking up the next day, starting over. But these are not days that are cured by a good night's sleep necessarily. Always helps, uh, but it's not, it's not, you know, um, <laughs> uh, we, my, my wife and I were talking about something catastrophic yesterday, absolutely catastrophic in someone's life. And we were just, we were just saying it, it, it never used to be like that. And we were sitting in McAllister's, you know, uh, cause I always think a uh, baked potato helps trouble. And we were, we were sitting there in McAllister's and I said, it, it, it never used to be this way. I said, this was the oddity. This was the exception. And I listened to the music that they were playing. And the song was that old song from the 60s. It's the end of the world as we know it. 
And I thought, and I wondered, you know, maybe that song's a little more true. Maybe not in an apocalyptic sense, but at least in a philosophical sense. So I want to call upon the church today to take to heart what I said last week. And I want you to take these three steps with me. And I think these three steps, they're a little bit counterintuitive. Um, they, they're definitely counterintuitive. None of them are new. You've heard them before. But I believe as surely as I'm sitting here in this chair, I believe that these simple steps are a path out of the, the intense struggle that we've had. Not that we will be free from trouble. I think we've got some more trouble to go through. I think this is a difficult time. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, look, we're in a difficult time right now. He called it this present distress. And he said, because of the present distress, I have recommendations to you how to live to get through this present distress. And that's what I'm offering you. I think we've got some tough days that are coming. I'm, I, I'm not going to explain it. I do th I've done that so much. But I believe that America is under judgment. And I believe that judgment begins in the house of God. But I also believe that if we turn our hearts to God, we're the remnant. And he's absolutely crazy about us. He's crazy about us. And he wants to help us. You say, oh, I just feel like he may be trying to, 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 to ruin us. Loved ones, if God was out to ruin you, you would be a grease spot on Bush River Road. I mean, if that's what he was after, he's not trying to do anything. He is bringing to pass his purpose in our lives. The question is, are we going to cooperate with him? Here's the first thing that I want you to think about very, very seriously. Um, I want you to, number one, it's the first Christian life lesson. Now, again, I'm going to have to point you from here to there. Um, number one, we need to learn to wait patiently in the presence of the Lord. You say, Pastor, you talk about that all the time. You know why I talk about that all the time? Because several years ago, the Lord told me that from now till the time you are no longer pastor of this church, I want you to tell people the best thing they can do, the key thing they can do is develop a life of intimacy with me and to have a strong devotional life. Everything else you teach is, is, will be subsumed in that because if people can learn to walk in intimacy with me, nothing shall be impossible to them. So I want to tell you again, wait patiently in the presence of the Lord. I told the story last week to first service about a time in the... Uh, late 50s, uh, mid to late 50s, the best I can tell putting the thing together, it was about 1957. Um, I was asleep between the pews, which is where any self-respecting two-year-old would spend Sunday night in those days. Um, we didn't have nursery um, and it was so hot. We, we didn't have, I mean, air conditioner was around. We just couldn't afford it. We had two of the ugliest, loudest, most demonically looking fans in the back of the church. And anytime it was a summer service, it was a, you heard my pastor's beautiful voice. You heard my mom leading worship and you heard, and that put a lot of us babies to sleep on Sunday night. Just, just, we went right on off. And my mom said, she'll never forget. She said, there was a cloud over the congregation 
She said it was over society. I said, what was it about? She said, I don't know. I, can't, I honestly can't tell you. And she said, but we had had it for weeks. I think uh, it, it could have been two things that I researched. Um, number one, there was a, uh, about that time, there was a serial rapist that the police just didn't seem to be able to catch in that little coastal town that was a peaceful town and didn't have high crime. But the, the women of the city, the children of the city were just terrified. Um, uh, but it, it was about that time. I'm wondering if that was part of it. It was about the time of the launching of Sputnik and every American was afraid that a Russian satellite was looking down, seeing them in their underwear or whatever. And and I mean, I'm, I'm not making fun of that time. I don't remember much about it um, uh, because I was just a little guy, but we were afraid that we were behind in the nuclear arms race and the missile race. And she, it, it, was a, it was a tough time. There was a lot of fear. And she said, the only thing I know, she said, I don't remember what, but there was a sense of dread. There was a sense of uncertainty. There was a sense of, of uh, maybe almost paranoia. And she said it was taking the joy of the Lord out of our lives. The women were afraid to come out for Bible study in broad daylight. And she said it was just wearing us out. And pastor, my brother Stevenson said to the congregation, she said, we need to break this off of our church. We need to break this off of our lives. We need to break this off of our city. And he called my mom. She did worship in those days. And he said, Sister Eunice, I want you to come. Now you got to understand, I was, I was in a, just a good old Pentecostal church, but it was not a refined, polished, highbrow church. I remember that uh, one time one of our leaders of the church, and I won't say who he was because his family might still be around. I know he's in heaven, but he had a new set of dentures and he was just struggling to make the announcements. And I, I, was, I was in awe when he said, ah, I just can't do this. And he walked over to the piano and took his teeth out and laid them on the piano. And then came up and just finished what he was doing. And it was like, well, that's what you're supposed to do when the teeth get in your way. You take them out and you put them on the piano. Um, so we were just kind of a loose church, you know. We were, we, we were good people. We weren't low-class people or anything like that. We were just relaxed. We were just relaxed. And... Uh, um, He said, we've got to break this. And it was so hot. It was the middle of summer. And uh, my mom said, everybody is just sweats pouring off of him. He said, Sister Eunice, please come and just lead us in that chorus. Let it breathe on me. He said, we've tried everything. I know that the men of the church patrolled the ground so people could park without fear. They had done everything. My daddy was on the board at that time. They had done everything they know to do, but there was just a heaviness. And loved ones, I was thinking back, that's a lot of the way we are right now. There's a lot of heaviness, different, but nobody seems to be walking in a lot of optimism or faith. And, and uh, we're constantly on the search for somebody to tell us everything's going to be right. And the voices we're ending up going to aren't helping us much. And uh, he said, there's only one thing that's going to help us. 
And that is to remember that every battle we've ever won has been won in the presence of the Holy Ghost. He said, folks, I'm not going to preach tonight. We're not going to do anything right now except just everybody, everybody just just begin to sing and begin to worship and get lost in the presence of God. And my mom went up and began to lead them in that song, uh, you know, let it breathe on me, let it breathe on me, let the breath of God now breathe on me, let it breathe on me, let it breathe on me, let the breath of God now breathe on me. You say, what were the rest of the words? That was it. That was all it was. And then she began to uh, sing about the blood of Jesus, the presence of the Lord, and the Spirit of God began to move. And it was very, very hot. Like I said, I don't remember this. I'm asleep on the floor. But she said, at the moment we felt that we broke through, she said, the temperature changed. And instead of being a hot August night, as Neil Diamond would say, it became a brisk, cool evening, jacket weather. And she said, we heard a great rustling of the wind, but the trees weren't moving. And she went back and started singing it again, let it breathe on me. And she said, from one end of that church to the other, or from side to side, actually, she said, a, cool, a coolness began to blow through the church. It was so real that she said, one of the grandmas of faith, when it began to blow, she had been waiting on, the God, uh, on God. She was the kind of lady that when we prayed for rain, she felt like it was an insult to God to not bring her umbrella. You know, she was that kind of woman. And my mom said she was just sitting there, just worshiping. And then she went, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho. And nobody knew. I mean, we had unusual noises in our church. <laughs> but we didn't know what it was. And she was the first to feel the wind begin to blow through the church. And the sweat began to dry up. And the coolness began to come. But more importantly than the coolness, there was a change in the atmosphere. And my mama said, I asked my pastor about it before he died. He said, none of us know what happened. None of us know what happened except that by waiting in the presence of God, the atmosphere changed. And he got up and pulled me close to him with, by my coat collar. And he said, if you remember anything at all, he said, remember when you pastor a church, when you don't know what to do, when you are without an answer and you are without a solution, whether it's you as an individual or whether it's the church board in you or whether it's the congregation, teach the people to stay in their altar, the altar at church, the altar at home, the altar wherever they are, because there are things broken by the presence of the Holy Spirit that aren't broken any other way. We want to wait patiently in the presence of the Lord. You say, I know, but that just takes a lot of time. Yeah, it does. And you'll smell a lot of burning flesh during that time. Because most people don't know how to wait in the presence of the Lord. They don't know how to pray. I'm not critical. We, we, we just don't always know how to pray. We don't know how to talk to somebody that we can't see in the, in the room. And you say, well, well, 
how do, how do I learn to do that? Uh, there's a couple of ways. You can just learn to talk to God the way you talk to a friend. But I encourage you to get up, get up our liturgical friends. And in churches that are more liturgical in their worship, they have prayers for everything. Get a prayer book and let those prayers be your guide. Pray those set prayers until the fire of God begins to... To, to, to burn on those prayers begins to burn in your heart. But loved ones, we've got to get past the, this feels awkward. We've got to get past the, I don't know how to do this. You know, um, it, it's because you are establishing a relationship with God. Sometimes it's hard because we don't know how. And loved ones, we need to learn how. I tell you, I think the greatest weakness of our church is not a sin weakness. I think the greatest weakness of our church is not that we've done something wrong weakness. I think we just come from so many backgrounds and we've always been in a rush for time. We've always been in a, a, a crunch for room. And I think, I think the, the, the thing, if I could change anything in the years that I have left, I wish I could restore a confidence in just waiting on God in the altars. I know that if we, if we go five minutes over, we've got people at the door waiting to come in. I understand that. But loved ones, I want to tell you, there are some things that happen when Glenn leads worship like he does that don't happen at other times. There are some things that happen when the word is preached the way it ought to be preached that won't happen at other times. But I want to tell you, there are th some things that won't be resolved by preaching and they won't be resolved by singing another song. It's going to be when we understand that in the presence of God is fullness of joy. In the presence of God is the breaking of chains. Um, we need to learn that Jesus breaks every fetter. We need to learn that Jesus sets us free and it takes more than a three minute encounter tip of the hat at the altar. You say, well, pastor, I didn't know we were messing up. Loved ones, it's not your fault. It's the fault of leadership. We've tried to figure out ways to touch as many people as we can. We've tried to figure ways to touch as many lives as we can. And we have just not had a setup that's conducive to it. You say, well, what are we going to do? I don't know, but we're going to fix it. We're going to change it. I don't know how. And please don't say, you know, pastor, if you'd preach a half hour less, we could do, you know, or Glenn, if you'd sing some different song, please, let's don't, let's don't go into that. Uh, you know, we, 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 we just can't handle the rejection. I mean, we just, we can't handle the rejection, but please understand that our heart is to introduce you to the presence of God, but the kind of presence of God that enters your soul and tears you apart from the inside. I want you to learn what it's like to be doing something at home and all of a sudden you feel like, I need to just turn TV off. I need to do this instead of that. You and I are headed for a destiny and, and many of us already know it, I know that, but we want it at church, we want it at home where the Lord can speak to us. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not. What about Ananias? And not the one God killed, another Ananias in the book of Acts. We don't know what Ananias was doing. I love one video. It has him milking a cow. And Ananias is there doing his farm chores and the Lord said, Ananias. And he says, yes, Lord. There's somebody that needs prayer. Yes, Lord. His name's Saul of Tarsus. 
Ananias, I want you to go to this place and I want you to lay hands on him. I want you to pray for him because he's been praying for three days. And Ananias, while he's tying his tennis shoes, getting ready to go, he knows, Lord, I know this Saul of Tarsus. And he has brought people to jail. He has put people in prisons. There are children who are orphans because of this man. Is this the same of Tarsus that, that, that I'm talking about? Is this the same one you want me to go pray for? And, Ananias, and the Lord says, yes, he's a chosen vessel. He's going to do this, that, and the other. And one of the most amazing stories in the book of Acts, Ananias goes to where Saul is. And I would have entered, you know, from a distance. I would have taken, you know, one of those little grabby things where you can touch something without. But he walks in and this is, he was so accustomed to hearing the voice of God. He wasn't a clergyman or anything. He was so accustomed to hearing a voice of God. He walks in to the number one enemy of the church and he recognizes that when God speaks, it's always true. God said he's had a life change. He's not the man he was. And the amazing thing to me, one of the greatest miracles in the book of Acts is he walks into this enemy of the church and he says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. Loved ones, we have got to move from a place where we are members. And we've got to move from a place where we depend on our own understanding. And we've got to move into the presence of the Lord where if, the God, says, where if God says go to the worst reprobate in town, we can call them brother or sister. Or God says do the most unlikely thing imaginable and we do it. We think about uh, Philip who every instinct in him would to stay in a revival where God was doing something that he had not seen since the day of Pentecost. And the Lord says, I want you to go out of town. I want you to go on a rural road. And God gives him an audience of one. And then God does such a phenomenal thing that everything God has ever done in the nation of Ethiopia goes back to that moment of obedience. But loved ones, we have to learn to wait patiently in the presence of God. Now, here's the other reason it's a problem, and I'm going to go on. Um, it's because the presence of God is often a dark place. You say, no, no, no. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Well, let me say this. Darkness is not the same as a dark place. Darkness, we don't want anything to do with. Whether it's a TV show or a, a, a teaching on the radio or a podcast on the internet. We don't ever want to go to darkness. I mean, I mean, um, yeah, darkness. We don't ever want to go to darkness, but we will find that God will lead us frequently to dark places. Can I tell you something in Isaiah 45, three, God said to Isaiah, the prophet, are, are you ready for this? This is amazing. He said, I will give you the treasures of darkness. I think of treasures of darkness. I think of Ouija boards. I think of, I think of the collector's edition of Dark Shadows. You know, I, I, those things gave me a, a horrendous battle in my childhood. I don't want to go to anything that's a, that sounds like that kind of darkness. But God said, I'll give you the treasures of darkness. But the emphasis Isaiah was talking about was not the things of darkness, you know, for instance, there are deep things. 
There's a depth in following God. But in Revelation, he spoke to one of the churches, and I can't remember which one was it, Pergamum. He said that I, I know that there are those among you that say they know the deep things, but they're the deep things of Satan. There's deep things that are good and there's deep things that are bad. It's the same with darkness. You see, in Psalm 18, 11, are you ready for this? He made darkness his secret place. I tell you what, when we, when we went to Israel both times, I was, I was overwhelmed. And I know a lot of people go to the promised land, they don't feel anything here, there, or whatever. But I was overwhelmed when I walked in Gethsemane. I was just absolutely overwhelmed. And uh, we, we went in there and it's a place that just calls you to prayer. It's a place, and, and I realize it's probably because you know what went on there. Uh, one, one of our men said, I, I fell asleep there. It was so peaceful, I fell asleep there. I said, you're in good company. The disciples did too. <laughs> and I said, it's not because you're spiritually out of touch. I said, there's a climate in the Garden of Gethsemane. I really believe there is. There's a climate in the Garden of Gethsemane. But can I tell you that there's a climate in Gethsemane? Uh, and you got you to consider two things. Number one, there's a reason Jesus went there to pray. He went there often. When, when Judas betrayed him, he knew where he would be because that was a familiar place of Jesus. But I want to tell you, there has been such a spiritual encounter in Gethsemane, not because of tourism, but because I know the darkness that Jesus defeated in Gethsemane. He had a full-scale, full-blown demonic attack facing direction from God that was so horrific. He said, Father, if there's any other way, any other way, Lord, if you can come up with any other thing, let me take that path. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And loved ones, one of the things dark places teach us is it puts a new word in our vocabulary, nevertheless. And I'm telling you, I've said it before and I'm telling you again, we have got to introduce the word nevertheless into our vocabulary if we're going to be the vessels God wants to use. We've got to quit expecting everybody to be what we are. We've got to quit expecting everything to go the way we want it to go. You know, when we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we talked about the, the dynamic of their faith. And I'm saying this for those that may be new to the church. The rest of you bear with me for a rerun. But when they were told that they had to bow before the king or they would be thrown into the fiery uh, furnace, man, you talk about faith. They said, hey, we believe that our God, see, they're talking to the most powerful man in the world at, at that time, uh, arguably so. We believe that our God is, is able to deliver us no matter what you say. And then they they. they Got a little bolder. And they said, and not only do we believe he can, we believe he will. But then he said something that makes most conservative Christians write them off. Because this is where their faith failed, they say. But they said this, he's able, we believe he will. But if not, if not, we're still not going to bow. And we're still going to serve him. And loved ones, we have got to, to no longer be those kind of Christians that say, I believe that he can and I believe that he will. 
And he better do it or I'm going to pout. I'm going to go home. I'm not going to attend church for three weeks. Loved ones, you've got to follow the steps of those guys and say, but if not, we're still going to serve him. You've got to follow the steps of Jesus where he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, this is what I want. I know you're able to deliver me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but, but what you want. That's the kind of thing that only comes from the secret place. And sometimes the secret place is a dark place. And in Exodus 20, 21, the people had been invited to go into the presence of God, but they revealed the evil of their heart. And God said, well, here's some police tape, wrap it around the mountain. Moses, well, maybe that's in the chitty version, I think. Maybe it wasn't police tape, but Moses set up a barrier and God said, do not let the people come up here. See, they had a habit of when they failed God and it was pointed out to them, they'd say, oh, okay, we'll make it right. But God sometimes just wants the condition of our heart to be seen. And he still holds us at arm's length till we get it right. You see, whenever God said, go into the land and I'll give you the land, Joshua and Caleb said, we're well able to take it because we know they were men that lived in the presence of God. We know that when Moses was getting all of those We know that when Moses was getting all of those revelations from God, that when Moses would put the veil back on and go down the mountain, that Joshua would stay at the door of the place where Moses met God. And he said, I may not be Moses, but I can be the next best thing. I will stay where the presence of God has been. And it was in the deep place. It was in the dark place. Loved ones, please understand, God said, you can't come up here because your heart is not for me. Your heart is for a show. He let some of the elders go up and the very ground they were on was was transformed (coughs) into something precious and beyond value. But God said, only you and no further. But there is the moment when you follow the steps of Moses, Exodus 20, 21. Moses said, you wait here, I'm going to meet with God. And the Bible says in Exodus 20, 21, that Moses went into the dark place where God was. I want to ask you, are you willing to go into the dark place? Or do you get mad and just go hide? Or do you get mad and think you're the only one that God is speaking to? Or do you just say, well, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. Now I won't be a part of it. You're already a part of it. You have no place to go. <coughs> the first thing I want to tell you is that we've got to be ready to go into the secret place. Even when it's dark even when it's dark. I want to tell you, I love the secret place, but it's not always an easy place. It's not always a place of glorious revelation. Sometimes you go into the secret place and you don't like what you hear. Sometimes you go into the secret place and you realize that it is indeed all darkness today. But you and I have got to have a hunger. Loved ones, am I making sense to you? Are you hearing me? 
We have got to have a hunger to get into the presence of God. There's no time for church squabbles. There's no time for these petty differences. We've got to get into the presence of the Lord even when it's dark. And God says, if you'll be willing to come into my presence, I'll give you something that the world can't give and the world can't take away. If you'll be willing to come into my presence, it may be dark, but there will be treasures of darkness. Remember, dark things are not the same as dark places. We don't want dark things, but don't be afraid of dark places. Here's the second thing that I want to tell you. It may be good I decided to skip everything else. Here's number two. You and I need to extend the blessing of the Lord as we're going through these tough places. I pray, and it's not answered nearly the way I want it to be, but I spent years being offended at family members and friends that didn't seem to give any regard to, they didn't want to come to my church, they'd come to town to visit and go to somebody else's church. They just, my, my world was not part of their worlds. And I used to get so hurt. I'd cry and Ramona would tell me we're doing this for the Lord. And I'd say, you know, Ramona's really an irritating person because she's, (laughs) she's right so often. And that really ticks me off. Uh, It's bad enough that she thinks she's right. And it's worse because she is right. And she'd tell me all of this stuff and can I tell you what the Lord told me in a prayer time one time? And I, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm angry with so-and-so. And I'm, I, 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 Ramona doesn't understand. He said, I want you to start writing down what she says. And I thought, is this so I can use it against her? You know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if she's here. I think she was here first service. I know she was here first service. I don't think she's here. But it so helped me. The Lord told me, no, the, the day's coming when you're going to believe this and you need to remember everything that she said. And it, it has happened. Prophecy fulfilled. <laughs> but I prayed and I said, Lord, I want to be the kind of person that when I leave someone's house, they feel that their house has been blessed. I want to be the kind of person when I spend time with someone, they feel that they've been in the presence of somebody that loves the Lord. And I'm, I'm so weak on that and I'm so frail on that, but that's my goal. I want my grandchildren, even, even when I'm too old to, to run the bases, I want them to know that when Papa comes, something else comes with him. And I want it to be the presence of the Lord. But I want to help you understand, loved ones, that the only way we're going to come out of this winning is to learn to extend the blessing of the Lord. Listen to what Peter says. Fine, is that in your notes? You have that, don't you? Yeah, Okay. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Why do we do it? Two reasons. Why do we practice opposite behavior? 
Why when someone calls you something vicious and malicious, why do you not lash out at them? Two reasons. Give them a blessing instead of cursing, knowing that there you are there unto called. He says, that's your calling. Your calling is to bless people, not curse people. You say, no, I'm called to preach. No, I'm called to teach. I'm called to... No. We may have those callings, but all of us share at least one calling, and it's the calling to bless people that we come in contact with. He said, you're called, and he gives the second reason, that you should inherit a blessing. God says, this is your job to practice opposite behavior. You want to receive a blessing? Practice opposite behavior. You say, I'm just, I just I ain't got time for that. I'm just asking God to open the windows of heaven. Pour me out a blessing I might be able to receive. I'll tell you, he will do it. And I'll tell you, the number one way he'll do it is he'll give you people that are stark raving mad. You bless the ones that curse you. You do good to the ones that do wrong to you. You let things go when they won't let things go. Remember, hurting people hurt people, but healing people can heal people. You say, well, I don't know if it's going to help them or not. Well, that's a side benefit if it helps them. But we practice opposite behavior because that's my calling. And that's my blessing. <laughs> I just want the hand of God to be upon me. Okay, just get ready for a lot of mistreatment. Get ready for a lot of criticism. Get ready for a lot of unfair statements. Now, loved ones, to those of you that do the criticizing, the unfair statements, I want you to know this is not the path you want to follow. This is not the side you want to be on. You say, well, I'm just trying to bless my brothers and sisters by being a problem that they can... No. No, you're not, and that's not the way it works. Paul said to the Ephesians, let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with you, uh, from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ, for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Okay, we want to break out of this. Number one, you've got to find a way to get shut in with God. Well, it's just, I just don't have time. We all have time. We have a time for what's important for us. You may have to turn the TV off. You may have to get up a half hour earlier. You say, I just can't. I've set the alarm, but I just can't. If your boss told you to come in a half hour earlier, you'd do it. No, it's just a matter of, is it important to you? You say, I dare you talk to me that way. That's the way I've had to talk to me for years. Okay, I'm going to learn the secret place and I'm going to do what it means to stay there. And, and, and let me say it one more time. I'm, I'm going to go to the secret place even when it's dark. Number two, I'm going to extend the blessing of the Lord. And let me just say this as we walk away from this point and wrap it up. What are we leaving behind? You've got to understand every text you send, every email you write, every letter you post, every conversation you have out in the parking lot or whatever, you are leaving something behind. 
And Paul asked this of the Galatians. He said, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. He said, you're just eating each other up. You're going to keep eating each other up until there's nothing left. And loved ones, I want to say this with all the compassion that a pastor can muster. Some of us need to just be quiet until God touches us. Some of us need to extend apologies. I mean, I'm, I'm not asking for apologies and I'm not saying that you, you don't get yourself on a quest to make an apology to everybody you've ever done wrong. You, you'll, you'll go crazy trying to remember them. But, but even if you just started now, I'm not going to talk this way to people anymore. And to those that God brings to my heart, I'm going to extend an apology. And don't ruin a good apology with an excuse. Justin, I'm sorry that you feel that way. That's, now it's Justin's problem. He feels the wrong way. Justin, I'm sorry that I dealt harshly when the Lord showed me the flaws of your life. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's not an apology. You know, or I'm sorry that I didn't act nice, but you just irritate me. That's not an apology. That's called a trick. You offer something, you, you offer a carrot just before you hit him over the head with a stick. Don't ruin an apology with an excuse. If it's something you need to apologize, you don't need to explain why you did it. I am amazed at what you'll say under the anointing. I really am. But whether you're, you need to extend apologies or you need to just be quiet and let God touch you, we all need to set our heart to bless because Peter says that's our calling and that's our way to blessing. And, and we're, leaving, we're leaving stuff behind. Now, let me give you one more thing. I'm, I'm going to move a little back into the outline because one of the things that I said we need to do is use when we fight, when we fight this battle, when we fight the good fight of faith, the third thing that I want to leave you is with is this. You've got to use spiritual weapons. You can't use carnal weapons. You've got to use spiritual weapons. See, we are, we are seeing the result of 30 years of our pastors being taught good business principles. We've had 30 years of teaching our pastors how to be good CEOs. And what we've produced is churches that are exploding in growth, but they're built on business principles. And when a spiritual attack comes, they don't have anything in the portfolio to deal with spiritual dynamics. Oh, there's a place for business. There's a place for good common sense. We have a finance committee. We have accountability. We have, we have a, a, a chief financial officer. We have audits done every year. We realize there's a way to be accountable in a place for good business practice. And we follow that. But loved ones, we're not built on making great CEOs. We're not built on finance committees. We're not built on the board. We are built on the leadership of the Lord Jesus where a group of leaders come together and say, we don't know what to do, but Lord, you do. And give us in humility the ability to do what's right and to do it well. 
we've got to use spiritual weapons. We got into a financial disagreement with somebody one time. And it was, I mean, it was, it was just over when we were building the church. We, we had to go this way or we had to go that way. And we could make a case for doing this and we could make a case for doing that. And I tell you, the, one of the highest moments I've ever seen this board operate in. We didn't know what to do. We thought we could win a case if we did this. We thought we could win a case if we did that. And I tell you what we came up with in a board meeting. We said, we believe we're right and we're going to present that. But this was our decision. We'd rather, in case there's something we're not seeing, we'd rather be done wrong than do wrong. We'd, bet we'd rather be done wrong than do wrong. And so we presented our case. We said, this is the best way to go. And we presented it and said, you make the decision. You say, that wasn't a good business principle. No, but it was a beautiful spiritual principle. Because I tell you what it did, it, 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 it tenderized their heart. They didn't agree with us. But what we ended up with was with a compromise that both sides could agree, could agree with. And both sides could benefit from. And we didn't have to tear up relationships all over town. Uh, loved ones, one of the biggest fears that I have as a church grows is that people will rise up and think this is the way we do it by, by, by carnal practices, by the practices of the world. And Paul says, don't let your weapons be carnal. This is what he said, 1 Corinthians 10. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. It was kind of, that was kind of a play on words. He said, you know how tender I am with you, and, but when I'm not there with you, I can be tough. He said, it's harder when I'm looking at you because I love you. He said, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I intend to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. That's a, that's a tough sentence in English, but you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm praying that God will touch your heart, especially those of you that think we do business the way the world does business. He said, I'm praying that God will help you see that we wage war against the enemy's kingdom using spiritual weapons, not carnal ones. He said in verse three, though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but actively powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You know what he says? He says, we are like, it's, we're attacking a besieged city the mind of the world, the ways of the world, the hatred of the world. He said, but when we do it God's way, if we'll apply spiritual principles, we'll see fortresses of opposition begin to crumble. Men's hearts will open to the gospel. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we're ready to punish disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. What does that mean? We're ready to punish disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. He wasn't saying, I'm going to get there and I'm going to whip your butts. No, this is what he's saying. He said, if we can ever begin to obey 
what God says, then we'll be in a position to deal with things that are not of the Lord. Our, our, our enemy philosophy will fall before us when we learn to obey. And that's a tough lesson for a church to learn. The more we obey, the more we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, the more power we have to operate. Let me tell you a story, then we're going to pray. Back in the 1700s in England, it was a time of a real revival. England had some problems theologically, and they've had a checkered history with things of the Spirit. But they've had some high points. They really have. And there was a movement among some of the evangelical churches that men would stand on the street corner and preach and the crowds would gather. It, it, was, a, it was a great tradition in England. You still have, oh, I forget the, the corner, uh, Speaker's Corner, I think it is in England. You, you can still go there and speak anything you want to speak without interruption because it's part of the British tradition. But in those days, in the 1700s, people would preach and as they were preaching they'd get pelted you know with tomatoes and and uh, other things and it was it was a it was a dangerous thing to preach the gospel now there were there were some there were some that decided that I need to handle this and it wasn't a spiritual way there was one guy that said uh, this this was much later in a later era but there was a guy that kept giving him such grief and saying the Bible wasn't true. And the speaker said, if I can prove to you that just one scripture of the Bible is true, will you promise to leave me alone while I'm preaching? And the guy said, if you can prove one scripture is true, I'll leave you alone. And the guy who was a prize fighter that had spent some time in prison reached out and grabbed the guy's nose, twisted it and broke it. Blood just pours out. And he turned to Proverbs and says, Surely the churning of milk brings forth butter, and the wringing of the nose brings forth blood. <laughs> I would say that was unique, but probably not a kingdom way to deal with it. It was in that same setting and it was that same man that also had a problem with another person another city and the person came up and just slapped him because he knew the guy wouldn't respond he just slapped him uh, while he was preaching and the man looked at him and took a deep breath just kind of turned his cheek like Jesus said to do and the man slapped him again and then the man that had been slapped calmly turned to the book of Matthew and he says, my dear friend, Jesus told me what to do in a situation like this. Right here he says, if someone slaps you, turn to him the other cheek and let him slap you. He said, the problem is you slapped me twice and the Lord left no further instruction. <laughs> but I tell, you the way, I tell you the way they turned a city in several cities, they made it a policy, and Salvation Army and some other groups, whenever somebody was standing on the corner preaching and somebody was throwing stuff at them, whoever was throwing, whoever was yelling, 
the young children or the, or the, the women of the congregation would go to that person that was throwing stuff and then would begin to polish the shoes of the offender. They would dust off their pants legs and polish their shoes. And some of them were kicked away. Some of them were hurt. But they said that they won the heart of the city by practicing opposite behavior. Because they said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, I got to quit. I got to quit because I know next week I got to get back to the words. But I want to tell you the battle you're in, you're going to win. It's not going to last forever, but we're not out of it yet. It's not going to change anytime soon, probably. But we have a secret place that we can go into. We have a miracle principle called opposite behavior. See, I think the mistake the church has made is that it's been two years and most churches have had, we've had a wonderful opportunity for our light to shine, but all we've allowed in the last few years is for our views to shine. We haven't let our light shine. I think we've blown it twice. I don't want to blow it the third time. I don't want to blow it the third time. And I believe God's calling for churches to say, we'll serve the Lord, but we'll serve the Lord our way, uh, his way, not our way, not our way, his way. I'll serve him. I'll serve him. That means instead of punching their lights out, I'll polish their shoes. That means I'll go to the secret place. And it means that I will let the Lord arm me with his weapons, not my own. You say, well, how do we do that, Pastor? Uh, you just got to, there's a pretty good way to do it. Whatever your flesh tells you to do, just do the opposite. That's, that's usually the best way. I am looking for people that will say, Pastor, I'm not perfect, but I want to please the Lord. Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm, 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 I'm not even pretty good. But if we can just get on that path, oh, if we can just get on that path, would you stand with me? We're going to dismiss everyone. And with the help of the Lord, we won't go as long anymore as we have these last two weeks. But this was just something I felt like we had to get through and get to and get through. So my apologies for the length of the last two weeks and sincerest hopes we won't do this anymore as far as the length, but amazing things happen sometimes. Seriously, I, I do feel badly about that, but I think we've covered some ground we needed to cover. Now, this is what I want to do. We have a magnificent worship team that's about to take us back into the presence of the Lord. Not that we've left it, but we're about to go into the presence of, of, of worship. Now, you, you know, we don't have to be back till five, so stay as long as you want to, you know. Um, but if you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure I know what I need, but I need the Lord to touch me because I'm in a fight I have not been able to win. I am under attack that I've not been able to shake. We're not asking you to come to get counseling. We're not asking you to come to get advice. 
We're asking you to come into his presence and let him begin to give you a plan for the steps ahead. Let him begin to give you a plan. How am I going to get into the secret place more often? How can I bless instead of curse when people do me wrong? How can I lean into the Lord's plan instead of my plan when I don't know what to do? If you want that deliverance, if you want that anointing, I'm going to ask you to just come and stand along the front. It may be so many people that we're just standing shoulder to shoulder. It may be a handful. I don't know. But we want to pray for you. And if you want prayer, I'm going to ask you to begin to come right now. Just stand or kneel up here in the front. And then we're going to have our ministry team come and lay hands on you and pray for you. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, and... You'd say, I'd like to give my heart to Jesus. When the ministry team comes and you feel them put their hand on your head or your shoulder, just reach up and grab it and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. If you're watching online, there'll be a phone number that'll come up on your screen in just a moment. and You can call that number and somebody's waiting to talk with you and tell you how you can become a Christian and pray with you for whatever your need might be. As you leave, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he turn to you with his radiance and give you peace. May we know what it is to walk out this door as part of his remnant.